Hey y'all, it's K-Bird Tweets, and this is Peace, Love, and Baseball. Sorry, just over here celebrating my best friend Raja's birthday. He's my big orange cat. He's the best dude. We've been pals for, well, almost 11 years now. If you listen to the premiere episode of Babes Babes, then you know that Raja shares a birthday with the one and only Babe Ruth. Yeah. And the fun connection here is that Raja is a rescue cat and he was found by the shelter that I adopted him from in the hood of a car in the Bronx. So just a couple of Bronx legends sharing a birthday. What a day. Wow. So it feels like a lot has happened since last we spoke. Like Groundhog Day. I always weirdly love Groundhog Day. I think because there are like not really any holidays in January, you know, after New Year's Day. Yeah, we have MLK Day, but that's like a day of reflection. It's a little different. Anyway, Groundhog Day is fun because there's the tradition with the groundhog and some communities get super into it. And of course, I absolutely love the Bill Murray movie Groundhog Day. One of my favorite movies. I actually listened to the soundtrack, not from the musical, because yeah, there is a a Groundhog Day musical that is based on that movie. I actually know very little about that. So not that, but the movie soundtrack. Looked it up on my Spotify. I really enjoyed listening to not only the obvious I've Got You Babe, shout out, share, but the instrumental music that was written for the movie as well. Would recommend. The movie and the soundtrack. Yeah. So it does seem like all the groundhogs that we trust around the country here did see their shadow, declaring six more weeks of winter. And yeah, that's, it's rough. If you are in any kind of a climate similar to mine in the Midwest this time of year, that is just not at all what you want to hear. But... I do want to give a big shout out to Mike on Twitter, who assured us that forget what the rodent says, winter ends when Uncle Charlie reports. Best Groundhog Day tweet of 2023. Yes, Mike. Yes. Okay, what else? Oh, I have pink hair. Shout out to my amazing hairstylist, Courtney, who is even more fabulous than she makes my hair look. And that's really fabulous, obviously. She is another brilliant business owner who I plan to have on the show soon, so stay tuned for that. I'm just over here trying to be young and hip and cool, and I mean, honestly, I've always wanted to do some unnatural color with my hair, and I've either had to have my hair a certain way for a show. Actually, funny story. So the first time I colored my hair, I was 
17. I think I was a senior in high school. And I was playing Sharpay Evans in the regional premiere of High School Musical on stage. It's when I really like gained my local celebrity status. Thank you. Yeah. So anyway, they had me dye my hair from more of this like strawberry reddish color to blonde, you know, like like Sharpay, like Ashley Tisdale. So I was going to be really, really blonde. And I was really sad because I didn't want to touch my natural hair color. And I was like, I don't think I'll ever, you know, get it back to this. It's like unique. It's different. I I don't know if I want to do it because I think once I do it, I'll never stop doing it. And I was kind of right about that. I was really blonde for a long time, but it's just so funny because now I'm like, yeah, let's just like make my hair pink. But anyway, I really trust Courtney and I just felt like doing something fun and different. I also think that at other times in my life, I might have been more concerned with like the preconceived notions one might make about, you know, someone who has pink hair. You know, like the same way that, that we can with people who have tattoos or really anything like, you know, specific about your outward appearance. There actually used to be a good amount of employers that like didn't allow unnatural hair colors or visible tattoos. I remember like when I worked at Starbucks in college that m- my coworkers had to cover up their tattoos. And now that just seems like so absurd. But yeah, that's just something that like I apparently don't give a damn about now and... I'm not wild or crazy or really even hip, but I wanted pink hair, okay? Just call me pink. Or, you know, don't, because there's already a pink who is infinitely cooler than, like, everyone, not just me. But that reminds me that, of course, the Grammys were this past weekend. You guys, I love award shows. I cannot help it. Like, yes, I also think they're ridiculous and sometimes really poorly done. And there's always stuff I don't particularly love or enjoy, but I will always tune in. I'm not going to spend too much time on the Grammys, but I do want to say that I love the fact that an artist like Bonnie Raitt and an artist like Lizzo, they won like two of the biggest awards of the night. So different from totally different generations, but both ridiculously talented, brilliant creators pioneers in different ways and that's just it's really what it's supposed to be about there was a lot more variety in general featured on the grammys than in some of the years past so i gotta say i really did enjoy and appreciate that you know i also enjoy and appreciate that we have a new tv voice of the st louis cardinals for the upcoming season yeah yeah So Chip Carey, grandson of the infamous Harry Carey, was announced as the new TV voice of our summer. And I gotta be honest, I haven't spent a lot of time watching the Braves over the past 18 years, so I am not super familiar with Chip. But he is obviously very experienced. He has ties to the organization and the city of St. Louis. And he's also just really established himself in the industry. Awesome, awesome, awesome. You may have heard me talking about Chip Carey and the Cardinals on the first episode of the new Babes Babes podcast that I mentioned premiered last week. We are just getting rolling over at Babes Babes. So the first episode was really just an intro to the three of us that are hosting and a little preview of what's to come. If you haven't checked that that out yet, 
I'm going to link it for you in the show notes. Just going to put it right there for you. Check it. Our new next episode is going to come at you in early March. So stay tuned for that. I do want to say that I, I misspoke on the first episode uh, of Babes Babes. I said that Trey Turner signed a 13-year deal with the Phillies. And it was an 11-year deal. So trolls do not come for me. Okay, I got confused with one of the 14 Carlos Correa deals. And of course, I'm also kidding about that because I know that there were three Correa deals. The point is, the Phillies signed Turner for a lot of years. Okay. Wonderful. Fabulous. I'm glad we cleared that up. Honestly, I'm probably drawing attention to something that no one noticed but me. But I was wrong. And I take responsibility. I own my mistakes. Oh, and I remember the other thing that I wanted to mention here that I went into a little bit on the initial episode of the Babes Babes podcast is one of my predictions for the Cardinal season specifically. So here's for you, my Cardinals fans. I spoke on how obviously there's a lot of excitement around our top prospect, Jordan Walker, but I'm not quite sure that this is the season for his breakout season totally could be obviously a lot of reasons to be really excited about him but I listened to an episode of Brendan Schaefer's podcast Be Shafe Daily today and he had on his guest Kyle King of the Prospects you know him I'm gonna link the episode in the show notes here because if you haven't listened to it and you're a Cardinals fan listen to this first you know but then it's a little shorter shorter episode today so you'll have some time to head over to be shafe daily for this really great perspective on like expectation versus reality kind of like that Instagram versus reality of how we really hype up these players but what it actually means to even be a major league baseball player and I just thought their conversation around that was very insightful very realistic, but also positive. Like the whole take on it was was just great from a couple guys who really know and and talk about it in a way that's relatable, whether you're a super fan or, you know, just the general fan that's inquiring now that it's getting closer to spring training. So check that out and let's get into our topics for today, shall we? The good old meat and potatoes of today's pod. Here we go. Today we've got two segments. First, we're going to dive into show me the stats. And we're going to learn all about that baseball stat of war or wins above replacement. After that, we'll do a little health and wellness feature around American Heart Month. That's this month, February, the month of love heart month. And we're going to talk about a specific type of training that is great for heart health, among other things. Let's go. Okay. Our first ever show me the stats segment is officially underway. War. What is it good for? Actually, it's pretty good for something when it comes to baseball. So what is war? We mentioned that WAR stands for wins against replacement in baseball. The concept behind the formula is to add up the value a player means for a team and that showcases how many wins they earned or lost 
for that team over the season. So behind the formula is really to look at the complete picture of a player. It measures things like defense, hitting, running, and more into this one stat. That's also why it can get confusing. So for example, if a shortstop and a first baseman offer the same overall production, so say like same on offense, defense, defense, and running, the shortstop is still going to have a better war because that position sees a lower level of production from its replacement level players. So it's an all in comparison to your specific position, which is another thing that makes it a little confusing. But it's important to take into consideration for obvious reasons. It's a more well-rounded stat in determining the value of the whole player, which is what makes it unique to other baseball stats. The formula in itself is something that I'm like, man, like you could just go figure this for someone, but not really. It's don't worry about trying to figure it, okay? But here's what it is. (laughs) It's the number of runs above average that a player is worth in batting, base running, and fielding, and the then the adjustment for the position, like we talked about, first baseman, shortstop, they could have all the same numbers, but because of the adjustment for the position, the first baseman is going to have a lower war than the shortstop, plus adjustment for the league, so we've got like the American League and the National League averages, plus the number of runs provided by a replacement level player, so we add all those things together, and then divide it by runs per win. And that's how you come up with that that big magic number, that war. And of course, for pitchers, it's different. Different war is figured for pitchers. It uses, it can be figured a couple different ways from what I've seen. So it uses either the RA9, which is runs allowed per nine innings, right? Pretty typical stat for a pitcher, or it uses FIP, which I I feel like is a little bit more common. FIP is similar to earned run average, but it focuses solely on the events a pitcher has the most control over. This is a stat that I like too, that maybe we'll dive into a bit deeper, but it's essentially strikeouts, unintentional walks, uh, hit by pitches, and home runs. So those numbers are also adjusted for the league and ballpark. Then using league averages, it is determined how many wins a pitcher is worth based on those numbers and his innings pitched total for the season. So kind of getting into the nitty gritty here to give you, you know, the facts and the figures, but then going to make it a little bit more relatable and easy to understand. So an example of a pitcher's war in 2014, Clayton Kershaw on the Dodgers had a war of 7.2. That means that the Dodgers won seven more games for that season than would be expected of an average pitcher in the game. So war is useful in that it quantifies each player's value in terms of a specific number of wins. So you're looking at the player thinking, How many more wins am I going to get per season with this player on my team? And that's huge because it's all about winning at the end of the day. War factors in the positional adjustment that we talked about. So it's well suited for comparing players 
who are at different positions as well, which is something that a lot of other stats don't do. Is it baseball's most perfect stat, some may ask? Well, war is context, league, and park neutral. And this means that you can use war to compare players between years, leagues, and teams. So no matter when the player played, it's still a stat that holds up, and that's also really fascinating. War is your one-stop shop for rating baseball players in offense, defense, base running, and pitching. I wanted to share this direct quote from Fangraphs because they explain it really well, I think, in this little blurb that I found here. So they say that wins above replacement, or war, is an attempt by the sabermetric baseball community to summarize a player's total contributions to their team into one statistic. You should always use more than one metric at a time when evaluating players, but war is pretty darn all-inclusive and provides a handy reference point. War basically looks at a player and asks the question, if this player got injured and their team had to replace them with a minor leaguer or someone from their bench, how much value would the team be losing? This value is expressed in a wins format. So we could say that player X is worth plus 6.3 wins to their team, while player Y is only worth plus 3.5 wins. I think that puts it into more straightforward terms that you're like, okay, yeah. So the higher the number, the better. But like, what is a good war? It can help to put like a bracket around war to help us understand it in terms of like how good a player is. So what we want to know here at Peace, Love, and Baseball is when your buddy says to you, hey, Tommy Edmond had a plus 6.4 war last season. Like, okay, what does that even mean to you? What kind of player has a 6.4 war? So here's a little breakdown that I found. If they have a less than zero war, it means that they are quite replaceable. If their war is zero to two, means that they should be a backup player. A war of 2.1 to 4.9 means that the player should regularly start most games in the season. A war of 5 to 7.9 means that this player is going to be an all-star or all-star candidate during the season. That's so weird because, like, Tommy Edmond had a 6.4 war last season. It's fine. Anyway, eight plus means that this player is having an MVP baseball season. So there's some kind of hard set numbers for reference. Obviously, that fluctuates year to year. But the last thing that I will mention about war for today is that you're going to see it calculated both by individual season, but also for a player's whole career. This is another thing that can be confusing, which is why I mention it. Because, for instance, you'll see Jason Hayward's career war at 38.7. If we compare that to, say, Juan Soto's career war, which is currently 23.2. Now, if you didn't think about that critically or you didn't know, you know, much about Hayward versus Soto – you'd be like, whoa, well, Jason Hayward is a better player than Juan Soto, which 
I, I think we can objectively agree is is just not accurate, but <laughs> that's because he has played a lot more seasons that add up to that 38.7 career war compared to Soto at this point, which is why that number is higher. So it's important to look at war per season or like the average war per season over a player's career. War. That's what it's good for. Now we know. Well, not only is February the unofficial kickoff of the baseball season, but it is also American Heart Month. And what better way to participate than to have a little chat about forms of exercise that can benefit your heart health? The type of training that I want to talk about today really aligns with the overall message in fitness that I am very passionate about spreading, and that is accessibility, inclusivity, low impact, all that good stuff. You can do this and not feel like you want to cry or quit or you're hurting yourself so that you're not going to get up and do it again any other time this week. Man, it might actually make you feel good. It is called peripheral heart action training. What is it? Peripheral heart action training is similar to regular circuit training. It is a form of circuit training. So it's similar to regular circuit training in that it keeps you moving from one exercise to another with minimal rest between exercises. But with PHA, or peripheral heart action, you are going to alternate upper and lower body exercises. That's what makes it peripheral heart action training. Cardiovascular training and resistance training both have their benefits. They are both important. But there are forms of resistance or strength training that can be just as beneficial as, say, like jogging or riding a bike, rowing, walking, even some HIIT training that's going to allow for both cardiovascular and muscle building benefits. And that's this form of training. So the benefits include that of circuit training as a form of circuit training, which is generally popular because you will burn more calories in circuit training than in like traditional strength training. In traditional strength training, you might rest for longer in between sets and building muscle or like functional movement is more specifically the goal. But this particular method of circuit training forces the blood to quickly circulate through the body as you're alternating from upper body to lower body movements, and that increases caloric expenditure to decrease body fat while also increasing lean muscle mass because it is a form of resistance training, which is going to improve your posture, functional movement, all that good stuff. So who can do it, right? Well, most most healthy people can do and take take part in this type of training. So whether you want to lose body fat or increase muscle tone, it's going to do both. With increased movement comes increased caloric burn. So this form of training can even be used for bodybuilders or those who are training more specifically for hypertrophy, which basically means to get the big muscles. But if it's used in conjunction with all the other things needed to, you know, get the really big muscles, which we're not going to talk about today. Spoiler alert, it's heavily nutrition-based. Athletes can also really benefit from 
for field hard action training, circuit training, which includes PHA training, it increases maximal oxygen consumption up to 8%, which is less than like a specific cardiovascular conditioning program would, especially for an endurance athlete. But it's equally important for athletes in increasing local muscular endurance. So that's why it's really important for athletes is that local muscular endurance, but it's also going to increase their cardiovascular maximal oxygen consumption too. Win-win. In a case that this training would not be right for you would be if you have high blood pressure, it's not a great place to start if you are severely deconditioned. Pregnant women in like the second or third trimester, you want to be more careful with the disparity in your heart rate and your blood pressure. So again, depending on the person, that's when it might be something to look out for. But overall, you can choose the level of intensity that is right for you, just like with any other style of training. I wanted to talk about this because for the past year, I have pretty much exclusively done peripheral heart action training. I just recently started adding back in some specific cardio sessions on my stationary bike. And here's the biggest thing that I noticed. It is so much more enjoyable and easy to stick with because of how conditioned I am due to the peripheral heart action strength training. I hate cardio and I usually hate the feeling of it, but it's so much easier, like my perceived effort, it feels completely different to hold my heart rate in that like fat burning zone of where you're getting also the added benefits of the afterburn, which is another thing we can talk about some other time, my Orange Theory lovers. But it makes it so much easier to just keep yourself there, like physically and mentally, because it feels different in your body, right? Because you have that increased maximal oxygen consumption. It's crazy. So that was a, a really big benefit for me that I have found as I've started to add cardio back in is it just feels totally different. And it's something that's a lot more sustainable and enjoyable. And I'm getting more out of that because of this strength training regimen. Now, I figured I'd give two basic examples of a peripheral heart action style workout. The first one is going to be like a body weight and resistance band example. And then the second one is with weights. I wanted to give like the body weight and resistance band example because again, it doesn't have to be anything wild and crazy. Like if, if you don't want to pick up 80 pounds, you don't have to pick up any pounds at all. And it can still be something that's really great Honestly, just getting up and down from the floor and moving yourself into these different positions is going to get your body and your blood moving in the ways that's going to contribute to your overall heart health and overall health. Maybe if I get really ambitious, I'll make some video examples for you here in the future. But anyway, example one, you would do like a marching glute bridge or just a regular old glute bridge if you don't want to get too fancy. A push-up, and I mean like push-up on your knees. I'm all about execution of the movement, like the quality of the movement. So if I'm on my knees and I'm doing a push-up and my heart is actually going in between my thumbs, I'm going to be on my knees to do, you know, 10 of those effectively, correctly, to where I'm using my chest. I always tell 
everyone, like, I don't care if you're how low you're going. I care that you're using the right muscles. I don't care if you're on your knees or not. I care that you're using the right muscles. So that's the place to start. That's my push-up soapbox. Glute bridge, push-up. Next, you're going to do a lunge, switching back to lower body. And then you might do like a banded pull-apart for your upper back. Example number two, if you're going to do like a weight workout, you would do a deadlift, a chest press, a squat, and then a pullover. It's typical to do like three rounds, maybe even four rounds of these exercises, depending on what you're going for. But that's just a really basic example. Obviously, there's a billion variations of the deadlift that you can do and the chest press and the squat and all that good stuff. But you get all four of your functional movements in, hinge, squat, pull, press. You get that heart muscle pumping and working, all that good blood flow. It's going to make you feel energized and increase your oxygen consumption. Oh, yeah. That's what we want. And that's where we're going to wrap it today, folks. Who do you think will have the highest war in baseball this year? Now that you know what it's all about. You going to try a little PHA workout this week? Let me know. I'm really excited about next week's episode. We have a very fun guest. So please go ahead. Make sure you are subscribed. You can rate and review as long as you're nice. And you can tune in next week for more peace, love, and baseball. Oh, 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 oh,